Are you tired of men monopolizing mansplaining? Luckily, we are here to provide relief from the mindless drone of men explaining what it means to be a proper lady, and instead are here to explain how to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of hypermasculinity through popular culture. I'm your co-host, Brittany Walker. And I'm your other co-host, Kay Grossman. Today we're going to be discussing the 1987 film RoboCop. The scene, noir, Detroit, the near future. Detroit is in chaos. The police have been privatized. Cut to the police station. There's talk of cop killers, murders, crime on the rise. Luckily, there's a corporation here to save us. They privatized the police force and created a machine. They present it with great triumph, but it fails and a board member is blown to pieces. So they create RoboCop, the city's salvation. Half man, half machine. He cleans up the city, ridding it of crime, only to find out that the OCP also controls the criminal underbelly of the city. After being betrayed and reestablishing himself, he cleans up that too. RoboCop is an hour and 43 minutes, and it is directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, You might know Mr. Verhoeven from Total Recall, my personal favorite movies of the 90s, Starship Troopers. Have you watched Starship Troopers? I haven't. I haven't watched anything else by uh, Paul Verhoeven. Really? Starship Troopers is... The shit. Ryan is making an incredulous face. Yeah, we should also watch Total Recall, because that movie owns. Yeah, Total Recall is also really good. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So you might know Paul from Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and, you know, the other action film, Showgirls. Mm -hmm. Clearly one that I know by my blank stare. You've... (laughs) Holy shit! (laughs) (laughs) You... Brittany's currently hyperventilating for you listeners at home. Never watched the Oscar-nominated Showgirls. Oh, wait, the one with Jennifer Hudson? No. <laughs> no. No. No, Showgirls. Oh, See, I think of Dreamgirls. Yeah, I think you're confused because Showgirls stars the girl from Saved by the Bell, yeah. Jessie. No, what's the one that's like, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. What was that one? I keep forgetting your Jehovah Witness. And you didn't even probably... I was... Uh, yeah, I don't have any pop culture knowledge whatsoever. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm living with the Amish. <laughs> anyway, you, like, you don't... Pretend you're explaining this to a five-year-old. Oh, I would never explain Showgirls to a five-year-old. <laughs> would that be deemed like child abuse? <laughs> that would be like child pornography. Oh, okay. Cont- I literally, it, okay, I literally so have no idea of like what Showgirls is. So like, as you're talking, my image of it is just changing. It's like mutating. Okay, well, Showgirls is like... Okay, what if after Saved by the Bell, like after college or whatever the last season of Saved the Bell was, <laughs> okay, um, the I'm So Excited girl who, I don't remember her name, the blonde one, I don't know. What if she became a stripper? Okay. And that's Showgirls. Yeah, she had sex in the pool at one point. I don't remember that. I, don't, I, I just that's, remember... That's all I remember Showgirls. All I remember is that it was god-awful. I think it has like an 18%, 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's my guesstimate. Unlike um, this, which has 88%. Do you yeah. see how I made this relevant again? Yes. Um, 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was very well received. Um, do you know who fucking loved Robocop? Uh, two guesses. Rebut? Yes. What's your second guess? I don't know. Cecil? No, my first, it was just Robert or Ebert. I would just want to know who the second person you Oh, I, I just figured it would be like the other guy who reviews with Roger Ebert. No, no, it was Roger Ebert. He, he lo- I mean, he loved it. And, it's and a he, good movie. Yeah. It's really good. 
Um, it had a $13 million budget, and it got $53.4 million in return. So super successful. Again, so successful that they wanted to cash in on that, and they made a sequel and... Um, a trilogy? I think, yeah, I think that's three sequels. And there was a reboot in 2014. That was heinous. But it had Gary Oldman in it, so yeah. not too heinous. Do you know what Robert Roger Ebert hated? The reboot? The reboot. <laughs> like, he he wrote the most, like, he gave it, like, one star. Oh, man, and that would have been, like, one of his final, like, I'm just thinking when it came out, that would have been one of his final reviews before he died. He died with, Hating, like, like, with, like, robo- bad taste of yeah. old RoboCop. He was, like, he me- died in 2014, <clears throat> right? Uh, I think so. I don't know. I'm looking at, I'm looking at our producer, Ryan... Fact checks on podcast. That's, I, we'll, we'll, we'll just assume that it was his very last review. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he died to, because of Robocop. He went to the grave hating the re- he like was like he was like it. the the reboot was everything that the original was trying to kill and and I I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. It, you know, um I guess we can just go ahead and go right into it. Um so one thing that was striking to me about RoboCop was how gory it was. Yeah, did you know actually um fun fact from Jacob um is that it was originally rated X? Yeah, yeah, and then they they went through I think four or five re-rating systems. Yeah, um, and it was and it, it's so rare that something we rated X because of violence and not uh, nudity. nudity. Um, but they went through four or five, uh, you know, where they like change it and change it and change it, and finally they it got its R rating. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that was really interesting. But too. the violence is so comic book violence. It's like video game violence. The way the blood splatters, it's right. like. It kind of counteracts how violent the film is because it's so, like, it's so absurd. I mean, there was a, a Robo, RoboCop comic book. Um, before or after? <laughs> after. Okay, so uh, it was capitalizing. With the, yeah, it was with the sequel. Um, Frank Miller actually was one of the people that wrote the sequel hmm. uh, to RoboCop. And then he had this series of RoboCop um, comic books. And if you heard my voice just then, you can understand how much... I think of Frank Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also a video game. <laughs> they had a and video- a Kanye West song. Oh, I, I just, forgot. I, <laughs> I thought this was how this was going to start. So I was giving <clears throat> you the opening. Okay. So this was my original plan is to start it like this, but I'm so glad Hey reminded me because, okay. I was just afraid you'd make me do it. Okay. 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 You will never stop it now. We need to drop it now. Drop it. Drop it. Because I don't want... No Robocop. You move in like a Robocop. When did you become a Robocop? No, I don't need no Robocop. Words from Poet Laureate Kanye West. Um, Sir Ye West, future um, Democratic candidate for president. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, we don't know these things. It's a Democrat. Yeah, I was going to say, like... What, what, what we- party do you think Kanye would run as? You can run as anything you want. Green Party? Oh my god, he would run as the Yeezus Party. <laughs> I mean, Roosevelt did it. T- uh, TR did it. He ran as the Bull Moose Party, which was essentially him and no one but him. That seems like something that Kanye West would do. Yeah. Um. So what struck me was the incredible amount of blood and gore in the movie. Um. As we said, it was originally rated X because of this violence and gore. And... You know, I I had 
one theory about why there was so much gore. And then I read an, an interview and found out that I was completely wrong. <laughs> um, but but this is literally interpretation. This yeah, no you know, once it's in the hands of me, it is now whatever I make it. <laughs> so that's just how literary criticism goes. You know, the uh, intention of the author is bullshit. <laughs> I don't actually agree with that. But <laughs> Um, so what I thought is I thought it was satirizing, um, kind of not satirizing, but more like parroting these heavy, you know, um, action films that have no substance. I'm thinking of, uh, did you ever watch Drive with Ryan Gosling? I haven't. Um, it's been on my list for a really long time and I like the jacket. Yeah. Well, one, Ryan Gosling looks (laughs) excellent in the movie. Um, but two, it's this movie where, you know, when you're watching these action movies, there's like all this blood and gore and he's killing people. And then there's this like 15 minutes of like really spurts throughout the film where they humanize this person who's just killing all of these people. And that's like the only, these 15 minutes of spurts of him being human and maybe kissing the girl are the only things that makes us root for the character. Mm -hmm. So what Drive does is it takes that 15 minutes of film out, and the only thing it gives us are these, like, like, montages of Ryan Gosling looking perfect and, like, meaningful music in the background or, like, him, like, punching a kid out or him, like, killing someone, and that's the whole movie. And you get to the end and you're like, okay, well, that was dumb. And that's the point. Yeah. (laughs) The point is that, you know, these action movies have no substance. This, you know, these action movies are just, you know, I don't know, like killer porn. Like where you watch this guy. What? Violence porn. Yeah, violence porn. I mean, that's kind of how I felt about the Revenant. Right. Um, And that's what I thought all the blood was doing in RoboCop. I was like, oh, it's making fun of all of these movies where all they do is like show like I'm thinking of like Mad Max. And, you know, there's this blood and there's this gore and, you know, there's nothing there, which is not true for Mad Max. But the (laughs) gore and the blood is true. Uh, um, I mean, and I actually do think that's kind of a valid interpretation. Like, I know we're going to you're going to go into what the author or the director actually says about this but this movie satirizes a lot about popular culture and a lot about society and politics in the 80s so i think that reading is valid right i I mean my dad loved robocop okay and although i love my dear father i cannot say that he understood that this was a film about anti-capitalism um well we'll get to talk about how it's not exactly anti-capitalism but the point is is you know on the, on the surface it is just about this like hum- humanoid cyborg cyborg killing people in gruesome gross ways yeah i mean if you're like a 7 year old kid like wow what are you saying about my dad <laughs> so- oh <laughs> no but i mean like i'm joking it's okay. <laughs> i feel really bad um i mean like just the premise of it is absurd and silly and fun and like that's the point it's like it's it's comic booky it's it's the same way yeah i mean the uh guy that plays the main villain in here um which i'm so good with names um if you haven't realized that on the podcast you know the bad guy you mean the guy who plays bodica who's like yes the the one from that 70s show yeah 
yeah. uh, Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, he even said, like, I read the script, and I was like, this is going to be a B-movie, and, like, it kind of reads as that, but there's so much underneath, which brings me to what the director um, says is is really the point behind all of the blood. And I'll go ahead and let you kind of read that quote from the Esquire interview. So this is a quote from the director, Paul Verhoeven. Um, you're just making me read that so you don't have to try to pronounce Verhoeven. I'm not wrong. No. Okay. So this is just a direct quote when they're talking about it. Um, the violence in the film is amplified because I thought I had to, it had to do with Jesus. Murphy, when he's still Murphy, is crucified. That's why the killing of Murphy is extremely violent, especially in the original version. I thought that I could move from there into his resurrection, Robocop's an American Jesus. I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus in any way, but I can see the value of I- the idea, the purity of, the- of that idea. So from an artistic point of view, it's absolutely true. So I don't... Um, so I know you put laughing. this... So I know you. So I know you put this quote in the outline, so in theory I should have like read it and digested it all before I just read it aloud on the show. But I didn't. Um, and I don't know that I entirely agree with that. I do agree that there's definitely a Jesus allegory. Like, there's there's definitely a huge Jesus allegory in this. But I don't think the violence translates very well as part of the Jesus mythos. No, I... Um, I think your reading is more... I, I fall in line more with your reading. That I mean, being said, I, I like the idea of you know when I don't know if you watched um, Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. I you know I say these things because I'm like, what do Jehovah Witness believe? I wasn't actually allowed to watch it as a Jehovah's Witness. I just <laughs> like what is happening with this? I'm so confused about your past religion. It's just, weird. I I it's strange. I really hope my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. I know. I was saying this whole thing. I was like, what if your mom listens to this? And she's like, who's this bitch who is constantly? <laughs> um, anyway, so so if we get angry comments, um, and then my mother, sorry, mom. Yeah, I, I've already disappointed you enough. So uh, just add this to the list. Yeah, she's actually compiling a written list in her diary. <laughs> Ways that Kay has disappointed me this week. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, like it reminded me of Passion of the Christ a little bit um, with how gory and and gruesome it was. But the the blood and the gore isn't connected to the the Jesus figure, which I think is... No, that's, I think, why I disagree. I mean, I probably shouldn't disagree with the director's interpretation, but I do. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of... You know, this guy sacrificed his life kind of for the good of Detroit um, to save them from their sins. And by sins, you know, crime. And I think that way, it absolutely does kind of follow that Jesus narrative. Um, And he's betrayed by his... I mean, there's a lot in the film following the Jesus narrative. Like, just in his initial death before he's reborn or resurrected as Robocop, the first thing that's shot off is his hand. Right. His, like in this incredibly goy and that echoes um jesus's getting his hand like the stake with his hand yeah so i definitely see the echoes and in later on you see him pierced with a spear in his side by bodica during one of the final battles so there's there's definitely places where it echoes the jesus mythos but i think to say that we are attributing the violence in the film directly to make the jesus allegory more meaningful doesn't ring true to me. Yeah, I, I think more to me, it kind of rung more as like a Frankenstein um, 
allegory. You know, you have this person that was created by the hands of science and, you know, it's more criticizing the usage of science to act as a god. Hmm. Um, as in, you know, God created all things. And in this, you know, it was capitalism that created this thing. It was technology that created this thing. So it's kind of, you know, talking about the da- like how it's dangerous for these things that are not God to act as a God. But what does it say that, like, I, I actually really like that point. I think in support of your point is that the purely mechanical ED-209 fails miserably it is Mm -hmm. useless um it doesn't do its job it kills the innocent and it can't walk down fucking stairs yeah um so it takes the combination of the man and the machine in order to create something successful and something that Right, they had to include something that was created at, you know, the hands of God itself. The hands of, or at least at the hands of something not science. Yeah. So I think, I think that's actually a really good point about this movie. Um, so yeah, Jesus allegories. And, um, we should have prefaced this before, but, you know, we watched this movie and we did not find any commentary really on masculinity at least much less than in previous movies yeah um not in the same way that we saw with rambo or top gun where you and i think a lot of that has to do with there is such this was so saturated with technology and and the anxieties about technology Mm -hmm. and um so it's they were really making a commentary on masculinity as much in this movie as they were other things. About politics. And I mean, yeah. it does make commentary about masculinity in, in the respect that politics always, politics and patriarchy go hand in hand and things yeah. like that. So so you could do kind of an extensive reading of it, but I don't, I think we'd be stretching it to say that this film speaks very highly of masculine or very extensively on masculinity. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think we're going to talk about more fun things like crucifixion and militarization of police and other joyous things <laughs> like that. Um, which I think the next thing, since we kind of started talking about technology, is we can kind of talk about um, how this shows the anxieties of technology a little bit. Yeah, um, I think that there was actually a whole genre of films in the 80s, um, extending into the 90s, about mm-hmm. the limits of technology and if you think about it, think about how much technology shifted between the 60s and the 80s. Like in the 70s, whole fields were made obsolete in manufacturing and in farm and in labor. So technology swept in and kind of took over a lot. And that's when you first started seeing automation. Um, so I think that the genres of film that developed out of that are a reflection of that. So we get this whole genre, you, uh, some other movies in that made in this era were Blade Runner and Terminator, Metropolis, to some extent Videodrome, the David Cronenberg film. So you get a lot of these movies that explore the tension between humans' relationship to technology. What was that one where they... The only scene I remember is the Taco Bell scene where they're eating pills. And I was like, Demolition Man, Demolition oh, Man yeah, kind of talks one. about that. and. And I remember watching that scene and being like, this isn't the future. This is hell. If Taco Bell is just like <laughs> pills, like kill me now. I no longer want to live. Dear listeners, we care deeply about Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. God. True story. True story. If you ever want to give us gifts, like for our birthday in a couple of weeks, just send us Taco Bell gift cards. Literally to- two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Okay. I apologize. Demolition Man is an example of this. Um, yeah, and so 
I think what's really interesting about this film, though, is that all the men in this film pretty much categorically are corrupt or evil in some way. Um, so you see, so there, I think there's three main classes. So there are the criminals who are criminals on the face, Bataka and his gang. You have the corporate businessmen who are motivated by greed and ambition and cocaine. pleasure. Cocaine. <laughs> it's going to pleasure seem nicer. And then you have the police force, who is not explicitly bad, but they're going on strike. They're letting the city fall into chaos. They're not particularly... I think, at best, they're just ineffective. Yeah. And so, like by their complacency, they, in turn, you know... Allow evil to perpetuate. Yeah. Detroit to fall into this chaos. So none of none of the groups of men in this film are good. Yeah, but um, and and neither. But but then again, neither is Alex Murphy. In the beginning, we see Alex Murphy has these ambitions to be a hero. He wants to um, he wants to be a hero for his son and for Detroit. And he's genuinely, I think, motivated to be good. But it's not until he merges himself or becomes merged with technology that he can actually be Detroit's salvation. Mm. Um, also, side note, I think the only explicitly good character in the film is Lewis, his Anne Lewis's partner. Um, and she's A, she's great. She's super cool. B, it's so refreshing to see a movie where the lady has A, a decent role, like actual speaking lines, I'm looking at you, Rambo. And B, they're like, she's not a love interest. She's his friend. She helps him. She helps save him. She helps him rediscover his true identity. And they never kiss. And they never, like, have any romantic inklings. It's fantastic. She's a professional allowed to be competent and a professional. Unlike, say, the main lady in Top Gun, who is a very established professional and is not allowed to explore being a professional. Instead, she's undermined. In... And with Robocop, Lewis, when she's undermined, is only undermined by the evil characters and is proven correct in the end. Like, I love her character. I love how the interaction between male and female work in this movie. Yeah. A plus. I mostly just love the fact that there's not really a love interest except yeah. for, like, his, his wife. wife, kind of. But it's more, like, in love with, like, who he used to be as opposed to... Yeah, he's it, not gonna get his wife back. Yeah. And that's refreshing is... Not only they're a, a woman who is successful, who is a professional, but there's like there's no woman who is a reward at the end. Yes, that's exactly it. And I think that's what I really enjoy about this film. The reward is vengeance. Yeah, the reward is violence itself, which is terrifying. But you know, but it's but it's not. It's not a woman who's a. It's not a woman who's being objectified the entire yeah. time to be a prize. And I and. Really glad you mentioned objectification because I think part of the tension in this film is turning a man literally into an object. Yeah. When in most of the films we've been looking at, it's objectifying other women. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Huh. Interesting. Um, speaking of kind of, and this is kind of talking about the body when you were talking about, you know, turning that body into an object. Um, I know that you had some really interesting things to say about body autonomy. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to let you speak about that because I have no idea. So um, I've been reading a lot about bioethics, um, bo both as part of my job and just one of my personal interests, because that's totally a normal personal interest. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but... Oh, I'm just chilling, drinking a beer, reading my book about bioethics, because I'm a cool girl. 
Yeah. That's me. That's my K impersonation. It's a good impersonation. So one of the things that's really interesting is in, in my professional job, I deal a lot with institutional review boards. IRBs. It's basically the review board that governs human studies research. It says, you know, oh, you want to do this experiment on humans. You can't. Um, it, and IRBs came out as a response to like really heinous experiments, like the Tuskegee, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, which infected people with syphilis and didn't treat them just to see what would happen. Wasn't um, that mostly African Americans yeah, too? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, so basically, the the role of the IRB is to maintain limits on what can be done to people and maintain the people, the subjects' dignity. The reason I went into this diversion, uh, that kind of diversions, is that Google has just instituted an IRB for its AI program. Oh my goodness! Which is fascinating. It's so cool. Because, like, here we're seeing this whole tension between robotics and cyber and, like, artificial intelligence. So these questions that are being explored in uh, in, in RoboCop, like, what are the limits of robotics and their creators, are actually well within our own future. And I don't know that the maker of Paul Verhoeven could have anticipated that. But this this movie in 2016, whatever year it is, brings up these questions, like, what are the limits? And I think that, frankly, Alex Murphy in this movie is, he's treated heinously. Um, it's part of it, like, they remove all of his autonomy. Part of it, they, when he's being transformed into Robocop, you only see brief snippets of it, of his consciousness coming out, including they remove his left arm, even though they could have saved it, even though it wasn't necessary to to amputate that arm. Um, and they, you know, they say he signed his life over to us, so we don't, it doesn't matter. Um, and they say they're going to wipe his memory, so they're going to wipe his consciousness and everything it meant to be human. And where is that, how is that ethical? How is that where is the ethics we draw the line? Especially as we go into this age where artificial intelligence is a very real, we is a very real possibility. So, no, that's no. I think that's really, really interesting, and I think that's kind of one of the questions that you know come with these anxieties that you had in the eighties about this, you know, quickly evolving technology um, and. This wasn't the only thing that RoboCop kind of predicted. Um, for instance, the fall of Detroit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the fall of Detroit, I think explicitly um, stated by, like, design of... Okay, well, well I, think, I would as still because of the decline of the car industry. Yeah. They do this commercial satirizing the, six, the, the new car, the 6000 SUX. Yeah, no, and I think... So it's really interesting that they say... And I guess I'll start talking a little bit about capitalism here. Um, so the fall of Detroit was the fault of a corporate industry mm -hmm. because they wanted to make more profit. Um, so the it, the fall of Detroit was then capitalism. Um, was directly related to capitalism. Yeah. Or directly caused by. Exactly. Which is interesting because when you think about the fall of Detroit in like Real the world. literal sense, yeah. the, the fall of Detroit was because of capitalism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, it kind of predicted in both ways. And it actually in RoboCop 2, they predicted uh, Detroit's bankruptcy. Did they? Yeah, because in RoboCop 2, uh, Detroit also filed for bankruptcy. That's weirdly prescient. I didn't yeah, know that. Absolutely. So uh 
So in film class this week, we were talking about um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Okay. And we were talking about, you know, is this, you know, does Hollywood choose a side? And yes. Okay. Yeah. You would think that, right? And and that's what I thought too. I'm like, yeah, it chooses a side. You know, here we have Robocop. All right. It is a movie made by a Dutch producer who, wasn't he in, in Holland or something during... Nazi. Yeah, he grew up doing um, not in Nazi occupied Holland, which yeah. couldn't not affect you, I imagine. Right. Um, and wait one second. Was that was fascism though? Correct. Yeah. I thought that's really interesting because when we were talking about the movie, we were talking about how it is more leaning to fascism than it is. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> let me restart this. So we were talking about Mr. Smith goes to Washington and. You know, we're talking about, does Hollywood pick a side? And, you know, I always thought, yes, you know, Hollywood is liberal, right? It's it's um, always kind of, I, I would say Hollywood is a little bit progressive on, on the side of most things, not gender. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he was like, okay, he being my teacher. The professor was like, all right, well, you are saying that this is anti-capitalist okay um and so you have an anti-capitalist film made by a multi-million dollar corporation who is making films about anti-capitalism mm-hmm. hmm. okay <laughs> so i just sunk in what you said oh wow that's interesting so yeah there's like this this inherent tension there's an inherent like Duplici- duplicitous nature of it? Yeah. So, like, you have this movie, Robocop, who is made by, you know, this Dutch um, director who, when he first read this, said, this is too American for me. <laughs> you know, this is too American. And, you know, he wanted this action film to have this, you know, underlying premise. And I think that underlying premise is, you know, the Jesus allegory, okay. But I think it's, you know, this heavy anti-capitalist sentiment. Sentiment, yeah. You know, the fall of Detroit is at fault of this, you know, these corporations and this capitalist society. Um, There's this um, facet in, in Marxist theory called reification um which is kind of talking about like capitalism like seeks its way into everything (laughs) you know like both public and private all sectors of life um and you know that's what the movie is showing is you know yeah everything poverty crime you know etc um capitalism is destroying you know the normalized Capitalism is destroying Detroit and, you know, America. Yeah, by extension. Yeah. I mean, they basically have this plan to create a new company, a new city independent and free of American, of U.S. government control founded on capitalism. That is the Mm -hmm. OCP's end goal. Yeah. So I I just think it's interesting. A movie that's so, so heavy on anti-capitalism, you know, is made made. being made by the by Orion pictures, you know, who made tons and tons and tons of movies in the 80s Um, was making, you know, hand over fist profit at this time. Um, I don't know what that says. I mean, or what that is doing. I just think it's an interesting thing. It is. It's interesting to say, like, just how how that tension manifests and where and it's where it is. I think it's important to be cognizant of. Um, but I I do think a director can create an anti can create an anti capitalist film 
working within the capitalist structure without being hypocritical. Yeah, no, it's kind of, I mean, destroying the machine from within, I guess. Um, It's very Matrix. (laughs) It is very Matrix. Which we'll talk about, almost certainly. I've actually never watched The Matrix. How have you never Um, watched The Matrix? I've seen The Matrix. However, in the hallway at school, school being where I work because I am a teacher, I hear this very enthusiastic kid talking to another teacher, and he goes, you just don't realize the lie. (laughs) We're all just machines. (laughs) And I stopped for a second and I'm like, is he talking about the matrix? And I'm like, no, just keep walking. Just ignore it and keep walking. And then Miss Rabbit, oh, sorry. The other teacher was like, oh, like in the matrix. And he goes, yes, exactly. So you've seen it. We're all just machines. This is all just a lie. This is all just a figment of our imagination. It's like a freshman when they first take philosophy class. That's so cute. I know. And I just start cackling in the hallway because this is really happening in my life. But I've never watched the matrix. I just know about it because we studied it in religion class. Um, going back to Jesus allegories, example number one. Oh, well, yeah. 18, 1878. There's a lot of Jesus allegories in Western world. Um, um, so I know we just kind of talked about anti-capitalism, which is interesting because this is coming at the end of the Reaganite um, film era, which we've talked a whole bunch about in our 80s section of this podcast. Um, so, I mean, it's fair to say that this anti-capitalist movement is kind of coming from, you know, Reaganomics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Um, so A, the screenwriter in the DVD commentary explicitly said that the old man, aka the chairman of the OCP, was inspired by Reagan. So you don't get much more explicit than that. B, what you see in this film, film is this, is privatization of public services, social services. So private businesses have been unrestricted and empowered to do kind of whatever they want. Um, you see this even with the end at, at the end where we find out uh, directive number four, which is that Robocop cannot apprehend a member of the o- senior leadership of the OCP, as they are explicitly making themselves above the law, which, not to get too political, is kind of what Citizens United did. You know, uh, the Supreme Court decision. So it's, it's um, but it's also saying that big, vi- big business is very clearly the villain. It is its greed. It is its wanton, like, immorality that has destroyed Detroit. So it's a, I think it's a direct conversation, indirect conversation with Reaganomics and the pitfalls of Reaganomics. And given our current political, like the political climate and the race for president, it's still pretty relevant, that discussion. Um, yeah. And, you know, these, the thing is, these are all themes too that become very, very big in the 90s. Um, so a lot of these themes, the anxieties with technology, um, the effects of, of Reagan politics on America, you're going to see that even more. Um, so I know a lot of these things we will be revisiting, um, after our, our birthday podcast, uh, which is next, our next podcast, which is our next podcast. Did you, are you still going to do crank two? I, I think we're going to do crank one and two. You one and for a two. Treat, dear listeners. Okay. I, I've decided on Highlander. Yeah. For Mel sure. Gibson. No, no Gibson. Highlander doesn't have Mel Gibson. Highlander does not have, you've never watched Highlander. Oh, here we are. I think every time I mention <laughs> Highlander, you start singing that at me. Um, 
So, you know, just to wrap up, let's wrap up a little bit about the 80s era. You know, this is our last podcast of the 80s. I'm I wish I was more sad about it, um, but I'm kind of burnt out on the 80s. I mean, I'm actually glad we ended with this because I think Robocop's my favorite of all the movies we watch, which it shouldn't be because I don't tend to do violence. Um, That's not my jam at all. But I think it was the most thought provoking. I think it was, frankly, the best. Yeah. Best scripted most interesting movie we watched. I really enjoyed it. Um, so just quick recap of kind of some of the themes we discussed. Um, as we heavily emphasized in this episode specifically, Reaganite cinema, the influence of Reagan politics on film. Um, we saw that in Top Gun. We saw that in Lethal Weapon. To lesser extent in Rambo, lesser extent in Bloodsport, definitely in this film. We kind of talked about the male gaze a lot um, mm. at the beginning of how, you know, there's this myth that it's for the women viewers, um, but statistics actually show that since it is a majority male audience, more than anything, it's probably just showing them what their body should look like and how um, their body should glisten. <laughs> yes. We haven't, had to, we haven't had to use the phrase glistening male bodies in a while. I'm glad you brought that back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another another thing that we saw in a lot of these movies is the effect of second wave feminism mm-hmm. and women coming into the workforce and their changing role and the anxieties that provoked. And not only that, but the importance of the ending where, you know, even if they were kind of stepping out of the housewife-esque role. role at the end, they kind of return to that role because they're trying to shift women back into this traditional role, which we affirmed, it's it's reaffirming gender roles, which to be fair, a lot of the movies do for the male men too. It just reaffirms a strict like siloed. These are the men's roles. These are the women's roles. Absolutely. Um, and that that's again is due to how women are kind of transgressing these roles. Um, and I think the final thing that we saw in, especially in Die Hard and this movie, is the dangers of capitalism, the dangers of corporate greed, and. Um, just also the effects of cocaine. Yeah. Um, you see the anxieties of this new drug that no one really knows what to do with. Right. Um, I, I did want to add about what, what I thought was interesting um, about Rambo and about uh, RoboCop is the director actually watched Rambo for the pacing. Really? Like the Rambo movies for the pacing of the movie. Um, but not only that, but when uh, Paul was – Paul the director – we're on a first name basis. We're on a first name basis. We're actually pals. We're having coffee tomorrow. <laughs> Mostly, I just can't say his name uh, last name very well. Um, but Paul, my BFF, uh, he w- he was approached with the sequel of the script, you know, and he said, "This is shit. Um, this isn't deep at all. If we are going to do this, I want like an entire new movie." And he suggested like killing RoboCop off immediately. And they were like, no, Um, (laughs) that'll never sell. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, so the following movies, the second Rambo and the third Rambo were the exact movies that RoboCop was trying not to make. (laughs) It was just these gory action films. Blood filled for no purpose. Yeah. And Rambo. You know, the first one was deep, and it was about, you know, the effects of the Vietnam War, and it was about PTSD, and it was talking about the kind of, like, violence for violence's sake, mm-hmm. you know, and and, comment- and making commentary on that. And then the second, and the third, and the fourth one <laughs> were just action movies with a lot of blood. It was just violence for violence's sake. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I, I, it was just, it's interesting that they follow this trend. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, these anti-capitalist movies, you know, being birthed in a capitalist, you know, uh, movie industry. And I mean, do you see the effects of this here, you know, where it's not about the message of the movie, it's about what makes dollars. Yeah. And you see that in, in Rambo and you, and not just Rambo too, but you see that in Rambo and, you know, you see that in Robocop. And I thought that was an interesting thing that they both had in common. Hmm. Um, so show notes, um, we have two articles that we kind of, um, sparked our interest, uh, in the show notes, the article from Esquire. And then there's also this, um, article from drstevebest.org, um, <laughs> which was mostly just like really interesting. Uh, it's mostly just interesting, um, commentary that he makes on anti-capitalism in the movie. Don't forget to check out our sister podcast, uh, sister podcast, uh, the print and play cast. Um, hosted by our producer Ryan and our good friend Ian, mm-hmm. um, as well as Quest Bound and Down. It is an actual play podcast playing the Star Wars Edge of the Empire role-playing system. It is we all on it, along with our friend Dr. Savannah and my husband Jacob. And uh, right now, I believe we took a break from Star Wars to um, play Dune. Dread. Dread. I always call it Dune. That's actually what we call each other. It's like our nickname for each other. Like I call it Dune and it calls me something else. (laughs) You have no idea where you were going with that. No. Um, As always, special thanks to Kenny Kenny OO um, for our theme music. They can be found at kennykennyoo.bandcamp.com. We can be found on social media at Mansplaining Podcast or at mansplainingpodcast.com. Or at our home network, RiverCityArchery.club. It's a real website, I promise. Um, And now, Brittany, one final question. Oh, no. You're giving me the question (laughs) this time. I already had my question for you. In this series of... So now that we're wrapping up season one of Mansplaining and wrapping up the 80s, I'd like to point out a really important theme that I don't think we've talked about much. Okay. Butts. We've seen a lot of butts in this series. I think we've seen at least like six different butts, way more butts than bo- than boobs. What is the best butt we've seen? Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Not for Jean-Claude Van Damme? No, no. I, and I don't know if it's because, as you know, I have a deep, af- a, like a deep affection for Mel Gibson. I've noticed. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know if it's like the personality behind the butt or like, cause I'm, I'm envisioning the butt. <laughs> you like, like those you like anti-Semitic butts? Is that well, what you're saying? Like right now, just to paint a picture for our viewers, I'm staring at the wall <laughs> and I'm I'm envisioning the butt in my mind. <laughs> and it is pasty and white. And at first, at first you see the butt and you think the butt has, you know, kind of a grotesque color. <laughs> You know, it's too white. It's not nearly as, like, tan and golden as John Convy Dam's, you know? But you can nearly see the veins of John Convy Dam's eight butt when you when you see it. And that's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I, I don't want to see the life veins flowing through, you know, a beloved. So, but with Mel Gibson, there's enough meat on it, you know? Like, it's like, it's like... I'm 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 holding my hand out <laughs> as if you pretend, are gently as if I am, I am if I'm caressing the buttocks of Mel Gibson right now, um, and I can feel the meat in my hands. On the other, on my left hand, I am I'm grasping the butt of John Claude Van Damme, and it is bony. 
Because he works out more. And Mel Gibson is too busy drinking alcohol and wanting to kill himself to care. And at some point, I really like what's in my right hand. That's Mel Gibson's butt if you're not following along. <laughs> my question for you, okay. my first question for you is, what's your butt preference? Your preference. Sylvester Stallone. Okay. It's a good one. I mean, it's just, it's well proportioned. It's tan. It's not his face. His face is weird and kind of freaks me out, but his butt... His butt's perfectly normal. Uh, do you like my butt, Kay? <laughs> that is Britney's patented uh, Sylvester Stallone voice. Um, second question. Because we've talked about Sir um, Jesus earlier, um, if Sylvester Stallone, Jesus, and Mel Gibson were running for president, who would you vote for? Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. I think Sylvester Stallone. Like, he's surprisingly articulate when you can understand what he's saying <laughs> and i think he's smart i think he's very smart he's usually smart and he like rescued his dog oh my god i don't god think jesus <laughs> i don't think jesus would rescue a puppy i mean i think it would if he had the same name as him now i need to rename my dog <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys um for you know going along with our stupidity uh, next time is our birthday. Yay! Be excited. Birthday party. Oh, next week is our birthday. Yay. Um, and it's going to be our birthday party party podcast. Birth- <laughs> Alliteration a little bit there. <laughs> birthday party podcast. Get excited. It's going to be very exciting. I'm very excited. My birthday is my favorite day of the entire year because you can make anyone do anything you want and they can't say anything about it because it's your birthday. So this is the day Whitney gets to be a make- megalomaniac. Yep. The only day in the entire, entire, entire year. And I'm excited. I'm going to make Kay watch Highlander. Maybe I can convince her to watch Highlander The Gathering, the um, season one with, um, God, what's his name? Paul. I can't remember. What I do Producer remember. Producer Ryan is just shaking his head and what like, I do wondering remember, what his life's devolved into. Yeah. What I do remember, though, is there was an extra scene on the VHS of season one of Highlander <laughs> <laughs> where it was a montage of um, the. I, I, you need to look this up. What's his name? Paul something. Hang on. This is important to me. Okay. Oh, uh, Adrian Paul. So on the VHS of the Highlander TV series, uh, the the there was like a the beginning of one which was the gathering, I believe. Adrian Paul has this montage of this dance where he's like dancing with his sword, and I I can't remember the 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 background song, but it was the same song over and over, and it's just him dancing in various positions, and that was on um, a special cut of the VHS edition. You're welcome for that.